I'm Mike Rutledge. I am the director of arts here at K2, and I'm uh, excited to be able to spend some time with you here this morning. And uh, I, I have, um, we're going to be talking about something that's kind of very, very heady kind of stuff, but I believe is very, very, very essential to who we are as understanding uh, God who he is and what he plans for us. And that's the topic of the Trinity. Some of you may have no idea what I'm talking about right now. Some of you may be way more knowledgeable on this than, than I am. But that's where we're going today. Um, before we do, I don't know, it uh, looks like people are still rolling in. Some of you guys were here when the band did the opening song. I, and Switchfoot is just like one of my favorite bands ever. You know, they're just so great. And two people agree with me as well. And that's, so see, we should start a club or a fan club or something, I think. But um, that song is We Are One Tonight. And if you caught the lyrics, they say, we're one tonight and we're singing it out. We're one tonight and we're dreaming out loud. And the world is flawed, but these scars will, will heal because we're one tonight. Isn't that awesome that healing comes when we unify with others? And I think, I think really when I think about it, that's what we all really truly desire. We desire unity or oneness with each other. And uh, you know, we don't all agree on everything, and there's, therein lies the problem, right? We, we don't agree. You know, and it, so seriously, if you would all just agree with everything that I believe, we'd have complete unity, right? And, right, it was supposed to be a joke, but kind of only a little bit. <laughs> See, because it's not a joke because we can't. We just don't agree. And uh, that, that creates a void in unity, and that's a problem for us. Um, and, you know, it's... It, it, Lack of unity inevitably leads to what? Chaos, wars, right? We don't agree, and so we'll do, we have agendas. And the way we strive to achieve unity usually has an agenda that everyone can't get on board with. And you don't have to be a genius to understand this. I mean, you just look around the world, right? What's going on in Egypt? There's the, the, the nation is trying to unify, and there are clearly some different agendas going on, which is creating some pretty big problems. And even here, here in, in the United States, you know, our president, Obama, and I'm not taking a pro or anti stance on Obama, but clearly what's happening is you have people that are really behind the agenda and people who are really opposed to the agenda. And the same was true with Bush and Clinton and Bush before him all the way back to our founding fathers, right? We just don't agree. And that's a kind of a big deal. You know, I was thinking about this and something that hit, hit me is... is um, you know, unity with each other is tough because cause I realized something. I don't actually always have unity with myself. I was thinking, I just, I don't know what, why this story came to me, but uh, back, this is at least, I, I need to just tell you, this is at least 15 years ago, okay? So I've been forgiven since and uh, sought forgiveness from God on this. But here's what's happened. I was driving home from work uh, and I had this, it was Maple Road. It's 15 mile or maple they call it. It just I was like a 40 minute drive, and you all need to know this if you've never left, if you've lived here in in Utah your whole life. 45 minutes that's kind of normal drive. Okay, this whole 15 minutes anywhere kind of deal. Beyond that is crazy. Okay, that's only in Utah, just so you know that. Anyway, so I have this 45 minute drive, and I loved it because I'd listen to NPR and I'd listen to you know music, and uh, so I'm just driving home one day and. Um, I inadvertently cut this guy off, and it was really bad. I cut him off, clearly. I didn't mean to, but I did. And so he comes ripping up beside me after I cut him off, and I'm going to be like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. But before I can do that, interesting thing happened. He had some hand gestures for me, 
And then words, I'm not sure what they were, but I've seen a lot of football coaches using them on TV when the bad call, you know, ref calls a bad call. And so immediately what happened inside of me went from being willing to apologize. I was no longer willing to apologize. Now, here's the part I'm not really proud of, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Maple Road is two lanes in each direction. So being the mature individual that I was, I pull up next to him. Because after he gave me his gestures and his words, he pulled off. No, no, no. That was not going to (laughs) happen. So I pull up next to him. I said nothing with my mouth. I stared him down, which is probably not a really good driving technique either. I'm staring at this guy, giving him the, you want to go? Look, right? We're driving. Finally, this is like for a while. And he keeps trying to speed away, and I'm having no part of it. I'm just giving him the stare down because I'm a tough guy, right? Anyway, so we finally get to a stoplight, and he's next to me. And uh, he says something, and I don't. So I roll down my passenger window because he's on the right side. And, and he sa- he's like, he, I don't know what he's saying. But I knew this. At this point, I was so f- infuriated. I, I was ready to go with this guy, okay? And I totally could have taken him out. He's driving a minivan, <laughs> which is me now, actually. So <laughs> I know. For this, again, this is 15 years ago. I was younger. Anyway, um, and he had a kid strapped in, you know, in a, in a um, car seat. And so I roll down my window. He says something to me. And I say this to him. First words I speak to him. What are you going to do about it? He's hollering. I go, are you going to do something about it? So he gets out of his car, which could not have made me happier. I open my door. I'm just sitting there. And he comes around. I'm like, what are you going to do about it? So finally I say to him, either do something or shut up and get back in your car. I'm sure your kid's waiting for you right now or something like that. <laughs> anyway, nothing happened. He gets in his car. He drives off. I'm like, ha, victory. I start to drive. I get like 100 yards down the road. And I'm like, what in the name of goodness was that? Like, who was that in my car with me? And, and I just, I'm like feeling like a total moron. I get home and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I tell Susie and she's like, you said that? You did that? And I'm like, I can't, I don't even know where I come that way. That's not me. That just was not me. But the problem with that thinking is, no, it was me. It clearly was me. It's not who I wanted to be, but it was me. See, because I don't even have unity with myself. And I bet if I asked you, and you guys were really honest, every single person in here could say, you know what, I've, yeah, I know what you mean. Because there are times when I've said or done something that I've gone, that's not me. Well, it's not the me you want to be, but it's you. Because, you know, because I believe that unity, or lack thereof, is best expressed in relationship, right? And I had a relationship with this guy in the car, not a very long one. And we were definitely disunified. It was pretty clear. Or you see that in marriages, too. When, when your marriage is, when you are one in your marriage, it's awesome. When you're not, it's very unawesome. You know, I... I it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I looked up, I always like to look up definitions of words, you know. And so I looked up uh, unity and oneness and unity are about, have pretty interchangeable definitions. And I came, came across this, which is really cool to me. It says this, unity is something whole or complete that's formed by combining or joining separate things or entities. Something whole or complete that's formed 
by compi- combining or joining separate ent- things or entities. Did you catch the implication in that? Wholeness and completeness comes from what? Being joined together, unity. Not isolation, not separation, not division. Those things create chaos, war, etc., etc. So unity comes when we are all fully giving perfectly to the common good. You know, so you just think to yourself, so why, why is it the relationship, why is relationship so important? So why is it such a big deal? Well, see, I believe that the reason relationship is so quintessential to us as humans is because of three things. One, we're created in God's image. His nature is love. And love only happens in relationship. Check this out. In, in, in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, we find some pretty cool stuff. We're created in this image, and it says it really clearly and plainly. It couldn't be more simple. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says this. So God created mankind, or the New Living Translation says human beings, all of us. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We're creating God's image. And I don't really believe it's talking about the shape of our nose or our fingers and stuff like that. We don't really have any pictures of God, so it's kind of hard to verify that. But what it's talking about is God's essence. We are created in God's essence. The second thing is that, that not only are we created as an image, but God's nature is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Now this is really important because it doesn't say God possesses qualities of love. It doesn't say God is loving or God understands love. It says he is love. The verb is is a being verb. God bees love. God equals love. Wow, that's pretty interesting. We're created in his image, and his image is love that we're created in. The third thing that's really important is that love only happens in relationship. And you can argue with me, go, no, you know what? Actually, I can be very loving just with myself. I can love myself. To which I say, false. That's not true. Because this word that's used here, defining love, agape, is about an exchange of giving and receiving together. It's not about me. It's not seeking myself. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Love doesn't seek its own. Love looks to the good of others. See, you've heard this. Love isn't love until what? Until you give it away. So if you're by yourself, you're not giving anything to anyone. You're seeking something for yourself. And I want to tell you that this is where it gets really interesting for me. Because before the creation of you or me or any other human beings or the animals or the world in which they exist on or anything on this planet, before any of that happened, God existed in relationship. I want to take, and that relationship is the Trinity, and that's what we're going to talk about. I want to take the remainder of our time that we have here today to look into what, into, into what the Trinity is and understand why, in my estimation, understanding the principle of the Trinity is essential, essential to fulfilling our God-given design. 
I want to make a couple caveats here. That uh, this isn't, so sometimes when you talk about deep theological stuff and doctrines, it can become this, you know, exercise in mental yoga where we get really smart, right? And nothing wrong with being smart. But it, if it doesn't transform you, there's, it's really not very valuable. So I don't want, I want this to be about what, how this is a life transforming doctrine. The second thing is that uh, I have to tell you, it's so funny, I was talking to my wife last night and I said, well, you know, I was short, sharing my talk with her and uh, I said, you know, this is like the story of Flatland. And she goes, oh, what's that? I said, well, the story of Flatland is real simple. See, uh, Flatland was a land of two dimensions, right? It had width and it had height. And in the land of Flatland, um, and by the way, I, as I'm telling my wife this story, I get done and she goes, that's the story? That's, that's not really a story, actually. But anyway, I'm using the story anyway. So Flatland has got width and it's got height. Two dimensions. And in this land of Flatland lived square and triangle and circle and rectangle. And they lived in great, great, great peace and they all understood each other. It was very clear. Until the day that Pyramid... Sphere and cube moved through flat land. You see the tension? You see sphere and pyramid and cube are three-dimensional. And so triangle and square and circle couldn't understand or comprehend or didn't have the third dimension in which to make sense of these three-dimensional shapes. And that... So there's the story. And that... To make a point, okay, <laughs> that is what I feel like we're dealing with when we're trying to understand God and explain him and when we're trying to, especially on some difficult topics. See, we're limited to a three-dimensional world and God is at least four or five, I would argue, infinitely dimensional. So I'm going to do my best to try and explain a very, very uh, thick concept or doctrine. And so as we move in, the first thing, I just want the Trinity... How many guys go, yeah, I know what that is? A few of you. So the Trinity in a nutshell is this. God is three, God is one. Let's pray. We'll have the band come out and we'll go home, okay? Does that sound good? God is three and God is one. The word actually is from Latin. It's Trinitas. It wasn't used, it was first used by Theophilus in, in about 170 AD. So it's post Bible. You will never find this word in Bible. Search up and down. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible. It's not there. And what it is, is it's a word that's used uh, to express the doctrine of the unity of God as subsisting in three persons. So, God is one in essence. He is one in three persons. The three persons are this, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those three. They are distinct persons. Okay? Each person is fully God, not 33 and a third percent God, making up one God. They're 100% God, all three of them. There is one God. There's the Trinity. Norman Geisler, who's a theologian, says it like this. He says, God is one in essence, which, what did we say God's essence was? Love. And three in person. You look through Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, clearly... 
the people of Israel understood that all the other nations had plural gods and they worshipped all kinds of gods. Israel says, no, Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yet we're talking about the Trinity. <laughs> what I, I want to be clear to you, what we're not talking about, you know, you, I've heard examples that I think kind of fall apart. Uh, there's the example of ice and steam and water. They're all water. But they're different. But the problem is they, that falls apart because they're separate. And they're not all the one at the same time, right? And the same is true. You could, be a, you could be a mom and a sister and an aunt, right? But you're not three distinct people. You're one person who's playing those three roles. See, what we're not saying is that this is three roles played by God. That, that's called modalism. That's not what we're saying. We're also not saying it's like a cluster of three gods. That's called tritheism. That's not it. We're saying God is three distinct people. God is one person. <laughs> what? So maybe you're, you're sitting here going, okay, great, Mike. So what's the big deal? Is this like just some exercise in like, you know, semantics? And you just said it's not in the Bible. So what? Does it really matter? And see, for me, this is where it goes from brain yoga <laughs> to being life transformational stuff. You know, we don't find it in the Bible, but I, it came out. This is a doctrine that developed, obviously, from the Bible. And I want to look through God's word here, and I'm going to hammer you with, ver- with, with passages today. I'm, I just want to tell you I have a lot of scripture I'm going to try and go through. And so as you're doing this, you might want to write these down. You can go back and check, check on these things. But it's not, I want to look at, at how we have this doctrine and what it means, what it should mean to us. And the first thing is this. We find, again, back in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says this. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Genesis 1, chapter, 20, or chapter 1, verse 26. And this, I have to tell you, is so cool to me. The word used here, God, then God said, God, that word used in this passage is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. Plural for majesties. So what we have here is God, plural, Said. Second interesting part. The word said, Amar, is singular. God, plural, said in one voice. He said, let us make, let who? Us. Make man in whose image? Our image. What? <laughs> See, God is three in one. <laughs> And you can find, you want to write these verses down, you can check me on this. Genesis 3.22, Genesis 11.7, Isaiah 6.8. All God using the same plural voice to say us, we, our. Referring to himself. Even cooler, in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 1, we find all three persons of the Trinity represented. Check this out. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning God. There you go, one. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's two. And God said, here's our third, God said, let there be light and there was light. God the Father, God the Son, God the, God the, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son said. You're going, what? How do you get Son out of said? 
going to roll forward to the New Testament, John, John chapter 1. It's really, really interesting. It starts the same as Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. And as you look at John chapter 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word. Capital word referring to not, but a specific being. In the beginning was, was the Word. And the Word was with God, there with God in the beginning. And the Word was God. Okay? He was with God in the beginning, and through him were all things made. Through the word, all things were made. And God said, let there be light. And then you get down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and he says this, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word that spoke light into existence is referring to the incarnation of Jesus who was present at the creation. First three verses of the Bible clearly present a Trinitarian view. And then you go even further into John and he says this again. There's the three. John, John chapter 10, he says, I and my father are one. And interesting in this passage, the, in John chapter 10, he's talking to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are going, are you really the Messiah? Come on. And of course, they don't believe he is. They're goading him, trying to trap him and all this kind of stuff that went on through most of Jesus' ministry life. And he says, well, you don't believe, so. But I've done the miracles. If you saw the miracles, you would clearly understand that I am. I've given eternal life. I've offered eternal life to people, which only can be done by God. I and my Father are one. Clearly. Yes, there's three. There's only one. Because my Father and I are one. But I want to go back to something I said at the beginning of this talk. And it's this. That I believe that relationship is quintessential to us because we are created in God's image. His nature is love. And love only happens in relationship. See, God, in three persons, Father, Son, and the Spirit, lives in complete unity as one. And this can only happen because of love. This, in fact, and here it is. Clutch in, shift gears. Here it is. This differentiates God, the Trinitarian God, from every other God ever spoken of. Because, again, what do we say? Love isn't love until you give it away. Love is an exchange. See, if God were to have existed, like we said, we, we see that God in Genesis existed in the Trinitarian form prior to creation. So if God were to have existed by himself prior to creation, he could not be love as we're told in 1 John 4, 8 because he wasn't giving it to anyone but himself. You get that? If he was by himself, he in fact is not love because he's not exchanging it. God, although he was one, he's three and doesn't exist solely to receive love, but to live in complete unity with all three parts of the Trinity for the redemption of humanity. See, the Trinity is the absolute demonstration of love. Three living as one. I mean, come on. Let me come to your house and watch two of you live in complete unity. It doesn't happen. 
I want to look at another, another passage in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, and it says this. See, you see, at, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. We're the ungodly he died for. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the message version at the end says this, puts it this way, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his sin in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. See, his nature is love. And his nature is to give love. This is the differentiation. In all other religions, you do to receive. If I do this stuff, I earn my... Right? See, but with the Trinitarian God that we worship, the work's been done. God, because he has love, he doesn't pre-qualify us. It's not like a mortgage. God sacrificially gave love first as the first to act. What we do with it, he didn't worry about that. You know, I have to tell and I got to tell you, this, this is going to be an honest moment here. As I was preparing this message, I was so, so, so convicted with this point. You see, I, see, what I like to do is look for someone that qualifies, that deserves my love, Right? I know you don't do this, but I do. I'd like to make sure that it's going to be reciprocated. And I'd like to make sure that it's going to be beneficial to me. All right? Isn't that how we do love? Oh, I'm so in love. I feel so good around her. Really? That's, that's what love is? Cool. What happens when you feel bad? Are you out of love? See, his nature is to give love. This is what love does says, I can't wait to see if someone is worthy of my love. I give it in hopes of someone receiving. Love gives itself away so that it can be called love. You know, um, it's another great passage in Ephesians chapter 3. It says this. So, let me just slow down for a second here because here, here's the thing. So that's great. We've got the Trinity, three in one, the demonstration of love, and that love lives clearly. We're created in his image. We should have the love. What does that mean? Well, that, that's what I'd like to talk because this is, this is where it changes again for me from being something that I know in my head to something that changes the way I live and believe. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. It says this. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Again, that fourth, fifth, and tenth dimension. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more then we could, uh, then all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what is he saying here? He says that you can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is all the fullness of God? Love. See, this isn't just for us to see how God operates. Right? What do we just say in Romans? At just the right time, which is when? When we had no value to God whatsoever. We brought nothing to the table. That's the right time that love expresses itself. And at just at that time, that's when God said, I'm going to give my love to them. And why? So that we could experience the full measure of God, which is love. How? By having him in us. Matthew 28 says, and what? Go, go make disciples now. See, after you've received this, you have the love. So, is that it? Now we receive love. Hooray! See, this is, this is where it ends. That's what, I pre-qualify, right? Oh, Mike, I don't know, not today. I'm not feeling like you need my love because I don't think I'm going to get anything back. See, that's how we live. See, but the point is for us to be the embodiment, the full measure of God, which is us expressing love first for others to choose, to receive, or reject. And how do we do that? Matthew 28, and you won't see this up on the screens, but it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So God is love. He gives love. We choose to receive it or reject it. We, once we accept it, what's the next logical step? We give it to others. Unity. Not division. Not separation. Not isolation. So I'm going to invite the band. You guys can come on, come on up here and as we close out. So for me and for you, for everyone, to understand that God's nature is love, and that he expresses love for us to receive and to reciprocate out to others is an amazing, amazing truth. Now, you can choose to accept that or not. But I want to challenge you with a couple things. And we're going to just close out. These guys are going to lead us through some just amazing worship. I was sitting here before the service going, oh, this fills my heart. So you have a couple options here. Option one, you go, oh, whatever, I'm out. I don't need God's love. I don't want God's love. I don't believe anything you're saying. Okay. Probably in the wrong place. Go to Starbucks. Number two, that's two. Two, receive it. See, here's the thing. You, cannot, you can be a good person, but you cannot be the full measure of all that God has called you to be if you have not received his love first. Reject it, receive it. If you have never received the love of God into your life, you will never be able to be the complete expression of the fullness of who God desires for you to be and the expression of God. And I want to invite you to receive that. The third thing for those of you who have received is this. 
ask yourself this. Am I loving like a mortgage loan agent or am I loving like God? Am I expressing my love first in community? See, that's again, if you're not in community, you're not. Am I giving my love regardless of how it's going to be received or rejected? And I'm just going to pray this morning. And I just invite you to pray with me as we close. Lord Jesus, um, you are absolutely beyond our ability to fully grasp and comprehend. The way you operate is so other than we operate. By nature, you, you, by nature, you are antithetical to our behavior. You express your love, not fearing rejection, but hoping for response. You accept us even when we bring nothing to the table. Thank you so much. I want to ask this morning for you guys, you just keep your heads, you know, down, your eyes closed, but I'm just going to ask you, maybe there's some of you who are out there that have not ever received this love from God. I don't know, that might be you. If that is you today, please do not leave. If you're feeling like this is something God may be stirring in your heart, do not leave without talking to someone. You talk to the guys up here on the stage. Patrick, who's going to lead you through worship, or Susie, who's down front. Go to the info booth if you want to talk to someone. And they can help you understand what it means to receive the love of God. That's the first thing. If you are here and you're going, man, this is not me. I'm, not lo- I'm loving like a loan agent. Maybe you just need to take a minute and just confess, God... I need to change, I need to, I need to love like the Trinitarian love that expresses love first, that lives in love. That's, that's my essence. Lord Jesus, move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us and guide us. Thank you for making us. Thank you for accepting us. You are unlike any other. Give us your presence to live inside of us. We ask this in your name. Amen.